You are listening to episode 106 of the Juicebox Podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Omnipod. Now you can go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox to find out more. But trust me, Omnipod is the tubeless insulin pump of choice. The podcast is also sponsored by Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G5 continuous glucose monitoring system. This again, something you definitely want to look into. You can find out more about them at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. And now on to the show. This episode's with Kari. Her son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes on Christmas Eve. That is not a festive gift. This is one of these episodes that when I went back to edit it to put it out for you, I just remembered how much I enjoyed the conversation with Kari. You know, you have to hang on through through the whole thing, but you're going to find out how her son's twin sister also found out that she has genetic markers for type 1. It's, a, it's just a really great conversation. I just really enjoyed it. I hope you do too. Okay, remember, nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. And hey, by the way, we're looking for more people to be on the podcast. So if you want to come on, send me a note. My name is Kari Brooke, and uh, my family and I live in Portland, Oregon, and we have three kids. My son, Andrew, is six, and he was diagnosed Christmas Eve last year, so about 11 months ago. Is he a twin, or are your other two he, twins? He is a twin, yeah. So he has a twin sister, mm-hmm. Zoe, and they have a big sister who's two years older, uh, Sarah, who just yesterday had a birthday and turned nine. All right, so yeah. let's let's just pull the curtain back for a second and let everyone know that I'm not very good at keeping people's names in my head again. So let's start over real quickly. <laughs> so you have twins, I'm writing this down, and your son was diagnosed last Christmas Eve. Yes, and Andrew. Andrew. And his yeah. sister Zoe, are yeah. he and are they're twins, and they have an older sister, Sarah. Sarah, yeah. look at me. All right, Kari, Andrew, Zoe, Sarah. I'm only going to yeah. mess it up once or twice. You'll be fine. You just correct me when I do it. Okay. Christmas Eve, huh? Yeah, that was a bummer. <laughs> I had 18 people staying in my home for the holiday, and uh, so it was a little chaotic. And I vacated and and said. Christmas is yours to put on. I'll be at the hospital. So, so, so how does that happen? So, as you told, you know, you emailed me that it was Christmas Eve, and and I kept thinking about it. You know, you try to always, you know, you know how when you hear someone on the radio, you think, I wonder what they look like. So, you said Christmas Eve, and I wondered, like, how does it happen on Christmas Eve? Because it's not like diabetes was just like, hey, we're here, you're sick, go to the hospital. Do you think it was that, like, the lead up to Christmas where everything's crazy, you're not really like seeing anything, and then all of a sudden it got calm and you noticed or was it something that was building? I'm just really interested to see how it came on. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a combination of two things. I think we had had a very stressful month prior. Um, my mom was, um, her funeral was a week before my son was diagnosed. And so the reason I had 18 people staying in my house was because my siblings had all flown in from around the country and most of them had stayed for Christmas and they were staying with me. So a week before we had my mom's funeral and, and so it was, it it was very much a state of, you know, higher stress and a lot going on. And, um, and I was very distracted, obviously. And, um, and so I think the, the winter time and my son had had some bugs and such that 
I didn't notice the the extra drinking and things that were happening. Sure. And I just wrote it off to being his grandmother just died. He's had a bunch of colds and he has a house full of cousins and aunts and uncles. And, and so, um, I didn't, I didn't pay attention, but I think the other reason why we caught it at Christmas was because my brother was staying with me and he was diagnosed with type two at 47. And, uh, he's not your stereotypical type two diagnosis. And, um, so he was at the time still living under the assumption that he had type two and was taking care of himself in that way. So he caught the sign. So we were up talking, my siblings and I at midnight one night and my son came downstairs, asked for a glass of water and went to the bathroom. And my brother said, Hey, Kari, he's drinking a lot of water. And I said, yeah, you know, he had a cold. And he said, well, you know, that's a sign of diabetes. I wonder, I've got my meter. Do you want to test him in the morning? And so I said, yeah, sure. Didn't think a thing about it. Never raised a red flag for me at all. And so in the morning, um, we got out his meter and I actually remembered in the morning before my son ate and I asked my brother, Hey, you got your meter. And so we tested my son then, and he had been fasting for 13 or 14 hours. He'd slept in. And, um, and so that's when we tested him. And so I think it's only because of a combination of the holiday stress and my brother happening to be there that my husband and I would never have caught it that early, mm-hmm. um, you know, at all without his. And how early was it? Like, what was his blood sugar when you tested that morning? Uh, when he was fasting, he, it was 358. Yeah. Wow. That's definitely diabetes. So, oh, yeah. uh, and, and what's that? Like, I'm just so interested in where did, where did your brain go first? Did it, did it go right to Andrew or did it go to there's 18 people in my house or it's Christmas or what was your first like thought? And then where did you end up? Did you go right to the emergency room or did you call your doctor? Um, I called my doctor. My first thought was, I, I had no idea what that number meant. I had a, a like most people, a, a very layman's term understanding of uh, layman's understanding of what type one was, and I didn't. That number didn't have a context to me. So I looked to my brother, and his eyes were really wide, and he said, "That's really high." And and so I said, "Okay, well, the first thing you do is you call your pediatrician." So I called the pediatrician, and according to my pediatrician's nurse, that wasn't very high. <laughs> so um, so we're in the category of one of those families that I got an appointment two weeks later. Oh, um, and and so. And I said, you know, hey, we're home. We're not doing anything. We're just kicking back. I could come in this morning. And she said, well, you know, it's fine. I think we've got you an appointment in January. Have him run a lot and, and give him lots of water. Yeah. So you called, you called 1926 to get your son. I did. <laughs> Hello, 1926. My son's got diabetes. What should I do? Tell him to drink a glass of water and go for a walk. <laughs> yes. And I love that later when we realized he had large or extra large ketones, that the exercise would have been a terrible idea. Yeah. So, so that stuck with me, but nagged at me. And, and so I spent pretty much the next hour, hour and a half, um, second guessing that decision and it didn't feel good to me. So mm-hmm. I ended up texting, um, my neighbor, who's a family physician. And I just said, fasting blood sugar, 358 question mark. And she texted back ER question mark. <laughs> and so then I called her and we talked and I ended up, uh, we ended up through many other, you know, several things happening that day, getting to the ER. And of course he was admitted right away. Gosh, that's, I, I, you know, I, I think I've said it here before, but I'll never forget the first time we tested Arden and the little meter I ran out and bought at the pharmacy, it said HI. And my, yeah. my first thought was, oh, it's really nice 
that they do that for people with diabetes, like the meter first, like, you know, before you get the news about your blood sugar, it's like, Hey, what's up? You know, how are you? I'm the meter. You're, you're, you're the person who's using me and we're all happy together. And then, Oh, here's your blood sugar. And then I just kept looking at the high and I was like, it's not going away, you know? And then we started flipping through the book and I was like, you know what? Never mind. Apparently she's so high. This meter is confused. It can't, it can't go any higher than she is. And, uh, and, but there was that was that my first thought was like, oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it's nice of them to do it like that, to make it so personal, you know. Um, Jesus. That's so, hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is now. <laughs> back, back, <laughs> back then I was like, I'm just going to pick my heart and my stomach up off the floor and then we're going to go to the hospital. Um, right. So a year ago, in really the middle of what I think to be kind of a revolution for technology for diabetes, except that you did have a doctor whose nurse was like 358, go have pie. It's fine. So, so where, what's the initial, like, like once you get them in there and everything kind of settles down, do they come and hand you like a syringe? Is it a pen? Is it, do they immediately start talking about an insulin pump? Like where does the conversation go? Yeah. I mean, we got, um, got admitted that day and the endocrinologist did come see us that night. And it was our education started the next day, mm-hmm. and we spent all of Christmas Day doing education. And um, so he was put on the pens right away. And they did tell us about the pump, uh, but they they said you know in six months we were the nobody gets it before six months um, kind of clinic. And then they did tell us about the Dexcom, and I tried to get the Dexcom before the end of the year because our our deductible was blown, yeah, you know, yeah. and so. Um, but that didn't work. So we got it um, the next year, early the next year. So I was, I'm glad now looking back that our, I love our endo office and the, the educators are wonderful. And they told us about the Dexcom right away. Well, that's great. It's cool that it's in the forefront. I was talking to somebody at Dexcom the other day who said that in the diabetes community, the, even the, the awareness of Dexcom is super low, like, like of CGM in general. It's just, yeah. it's not the company, but the, but the, and even amongst like endo offices and, and, and all that, it's, it's such a shame, but, um, okay. So you're married. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And 18 people in your house, do they all come to the hospital? No, actually no one did. It's kind of funny looking back. Um, I'm sure they would have come if we'd said come, but, um, I spent the night, the first night with my son in the hospital. My, my husband, once he could, um, get, but he didn't come initially, but he came that evening, mm-hmm. um, passed off our kids to my brothers and sisters. And, and he came that night, but then he went home and slept at home so that he could be there Christmas morning with our girls. And, um, and then he came back Christmas morning in time, you know, by 8 or 8.30 in the morning for us to start education for the unlucky CDE who... Who had to work on Christmas. Short straw. Isn't it funny when that happens, like in any situation like that? Mm -hmm. I find myself thinking, like, I guess somebody does get sick on Christmas. It's just us. Yeah. Yeah, Like, you you know, like like that whole, like, I remember my son used to get ear infections. He got them for three years in a row on Thanksgiving morning, like for three years. And, you know, like the second year, uh, you're apologizing. By the third year, you're like, uh, I guess this is our thing now, you know, like, like, you know, and, and, but, there's the doctor who's just at work, you know, doesn't, doesn't think of it any differently than that. Like, Oh yeah, everybody gets sick on every day. And you're like, Oh geez. Right. Um, okay. So Jesus, how did it, um, to go back to your brother for a second with the type two, um, 
That's a that's really cool, like of him to just be. Uh, do you guys just have that kind of relationship to begin with? Because I can see a lot of people not wanting to be the person on Christmas Eve to tell you that they think your kid might have diabetes. Like that's a that's a good person. You have a you have like a big close family, I guess. So. We do have a big family. Yeah, six kids. I'm the youngest of six, and um, and we're all spread out. But um, but it was very cool. It it didn't feel like it was a big thing. He wasn't really alarmist. It was just kind of a, a comment <clears throat> that he directed to me. And, um, and so it was very comfortable for me to hear the news. And, and I hope it was comfortable enough for him to say it. My husband and I, as soon as we got to the hospital in Solidale, I mean, we were immediately struck by how incredibly appreciative we were to him because, um, you know, he wasn't in DKA and we, um, obviously we avoided what could have been, you know, a bad situation. Yeah, and sure. so, I mean, I'm incredibly thankful to him, my brother, for, for noticing and for speaking up. And I'm very aware of the fact that we would not have been diagnosed so soon had he not been staying with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there is a, there's a lot of autoimmune in my family. And so the idea of the autoimmune disease didn't, um, didn't shock me at all. But, um, but I thought it would be me, not my kids. And, um, and, I, and there's, there's some type 1 in our Path, but nothing right here in our generation, mm-hmm. and so it was very much off my radar. Um, however, we do think um, when I was in the ER, my brother came with me, and and the endo said, "How'd you how'd you get him? How'd you get this figured out?" And I explained and pointed to my brother, and he took a look at my brother and asked him four or five questions and said, "I don't think you're type two. I think you're type one." Wow! And so, um, so my brother's been going through the testing to find out if. If he, in fact, is type 1, which every piece of evidence points to the likelihood that he's LADA or type 1. How long was he managing as a type 2? Two years. Was this the same? But he was developing these signs of, you know, his, his, he was followed by primary care, and he was developing all these signs of other autoimmune issues that you look for, like thyroid issues and things. And he kept, and the primary care told him one day, you know, your pancreas is going to tap out in about five years. You know, so these things that are now I look back and say, well, yeah, that's late onset, you know, that slow, gradual progression. And, right. Um, yeah. Maybe it was his age. Um, is he in his 40s? Yeah, he was 47 when maybe, he was diagnosed. Maybe his doctor just made the, the leap and said at this yep. age kind of thing, which is, you know, again, maybe is that the same doctor that, that who hired the nurse <laughs> and told you not the 350? It was no big deal. <laughs> Or no, you do you live in a tree? I know you're in Oregon. Do you live in a tree or you're like a city of a house, right? It's not like we have a summer tree. But we're in our winter house. Right yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, okay. So can you talk a little bit about you like personally? So because you seem sort of prepared, like you said, there's a lot of different autoimmune in your in your family. And so it's not crazy that somebody gets one of these diseases. And so you're not bowled over by it. But personally, how did it hit you? Like once you're home and settled. Were you a dive right in person? Did you freak out? Where was your, where did you level out at? Before we find out the answer to that scintillating question, I'd like to take this time to thank the good people that sponsored the Juicebox podcast. I'm talking about, of course, Omnipod and Dexcom. First, let's talk about Dexcom. You know, my daughter Arden is 12 years old and she never sits still. Between school, softball, and running around with her friends, she is always doing something. But even with her busy schedule, keeping track of her glucose levels couldn't be simpler. The Dexcom share and follow features allow us to be alerted whenever Arden's blood glucose levels leave the range that we set. 
The sense of calm and fantastic blood glucose control that the Dexcom CGM system helps bring into our lives is absolutely invaluable. So what are you waiting for? Go to www.dexcom.com forward slash juice box or click on the links in the show notes and find out more. Arden just had a sleepover the other night at a friend's house with a parent who had no idea anything about type 1 diabetes. Couldn't have gone smoother. Dexcom share is completely the reason why. Okay, let's talk about Omnipod now for a second. Today's Wednesday. Two days ago, Arden had her endocrinologist appointment where she got her best ever A1C. And I'm telling you right now that that number comes from the ability to bump and nudge your blood sugars, to not look at a 110 blood sugar and say, hey, I like 110, but to give her the tiniest amount of insulin or change your basal rate just a little bit to make that 110 go to 90. It's the ability to pre-bolus for a meal and then, you know, 45 minutes later go, hey, I don't think I gave enough. Here's a little more without having to inject. That ability to just manipulate basals, to bolus whenever you want to, it's just the key to the entire thing. And what was Arden's A1C yesterday? What was her lowest ever A1C? 5.6. Thank you to Omnipod for making the adjustments that we need to make possible. Go today to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box to get your own free demo pod. The freedom of tubeless insulin pumping is just a click away. I'm very much a dive right in person. And so is my husband and we took it on together. But I will say that I was, I thought a train hit me. I mean, I think my mom having just passed away, I was in no condition to take on another emotional blow. And so it was, um, it was very much, I never had a chance to grieve my mom. And then it made grieving my son's, you know, the, the complete change in direction that you think your child's life is taking. You know, there's that grieving process. And I think it was complicated. Um, so it was very, yeah, I felt emotionally pretty trashed. And then you add on, you know, no sleep and all of that good stuff to make you really <laughs> all feel like you're so on delightful. solid feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we're dive right in people. So we, you know, we took every education class the hospital would give us. And then we, I got online and I signed us up for the only diabetes camp um, that's around here is um, for my son's age. It was just a day family camp activity. And that was in August, but I signed up while we were in the hospital. So, I mean, I was looking online right away, trying to get a handle on this and find other people. That's cool. And you did. So you obviously, I mean, you found this podcast, so you found, you found a community pretty quickly. Yeah, we found, I found a different podcast first and I went back and listened to that whole thing. And then I immediately went looking and found yours. And, um, and I, I'm one of those weirdos who every day I'm listening to a podcast and I'm reading books. Um, and we've been to four or five family camps and including friends for life, which was amazing. And, uh, yeah, so we've really dug in my, oldest sister, my oldest daughter, Sarah, she immediately, her, you know, multiples of her stuffed animals got type one and she started caring for them at the dinner table. And, um, my whole family, the whole family, that all the kids have really been incredibly supportive. And this identity of, of having a kid with type one has definitely filled the family in a positive way and an advocacy way. We've gotten involved with JDRF and, and such. So yeah. Yeah. You definitely embrace the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, good for you, actually. That's, you know, uh, it would be easy to fall down the wrong rabbit hole, especially right after your mom and, and at the holiday and all that stuff at the same time could have could have easily pushed you the wrong way, you, you know, so yeah. it would be understandable if that even happened. 
but you got um so you got a glucose monitor, you got a Dexcom pretty soon after it sounds like in the in the early part of the new year. Yeah, you, we ordered it in January, it? got it in February. Because they told the you six five. They, you got a big oh, so they told you six months for a pump, not for a glucose. So they were willing to give you a glucose monitor right away, but not a pump yep. right away. Correct. Okay. And so are you pumping now? We are. Um they had, you know, given us the six month mark and my husband and I at four months looked at each other and said, We're done with this business because of the half unit limitations of the pen and um, with my son, it just, you know, if you gave him 25 carbs or you gave him, you know, 49 carbs, you'd give him the same dose. It was just ridiculous. So um, it was not leading to as good a management as we wanted. And also he was starting to graze more and more and we couldn't do the free snacks that we could do right when he was diagnosed. And so um, at four months, we asked them for a pump and there's a test you have to take in my clinic. So we had a take home test that my husband and I had it to. Did you cheat? And then uh, we did not cheat. No, I, I would have cheated. I would have. You'd been know like, that about me. Yeah, no, I, I, you wouldn't have cheated. I would have been like, I can get this thing done in six minutes with Google and be finished. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you did not cheat. Good for you. You passed the test, obviously. They gave you a pump. Passed the test. Yep. With about five months by the time all the education was said and done, we were on the pump. Can you talk about, because it's such a fresh thing for you, 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 so you had the CGM, so you could see blood sugars. Has there been a difference for you between pumping and, and injections for, for what you've been for able sure. to accomplish? Yeah, How? it's incredible. Yeah. So are you, are you like, like, you know, I talk a lot about like bumping and nudging and stuff like that. Or is that, like, do you have that mindset or how do you, what, what's your goal in the day, I guess? So like where... What, what, like, what's his high and low threshold set out on the CGM, if you don't mind? Sure. 80 and 140. Nice. And so, yeah, we, um, I definitely nudge. I mean, if I see a, a 140, I'll give him 0.1 or 0.2. Um, and if after, if I pre-bolus and um, after 10 minutes of eating, I see an arrow straight up um, or certainly a double arrow, then I know I didn't give enough. And so I'll immediately add on more. Um, so it, it gives you that ability to course correct um, in the process and not just wait till you have to chase it down later. Yeah. And then the concept of stacking insulin almost goes away when you can see the blood sugar like that. Then yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. something you worry about anymore. So are you, so he's, is he six now or he was six then? I'm sorry. He was five then. Five, so he's six, so now. He's six now. So now yeah. in the, so you st- so Andrew started school with diabetes too. Yeah. So he, we were on Christmas break, um, winter break. So when he went back to school, he, you know, you're on a two week Christmas break and then you go back to school and all of a sudden this whole thing has changed. What'd you guys so do I for Christmas? <laughs> Andrew's like, I got an <laughs> autoimmune disease. <laughs> Some girl's like, I got a stuffed animal. <laughs> so, That's right. um, yep. What's his level of understanding? Like how would he talk about it in that situation? He is incredibly outgoing about it. I mean, if we're in the elevator at the grocery store, he'll say, turn to the, the father and daughter next to us in the cart and say, I have type one. Do you? I mean, he's just, he's super out there with it. He can describe, there was this great educational video for kids in the hospital that we watched about the locks and keys of insulin and, and the cells letting in energy and sugar yeah, um, to yeah. create energy. And it was, so he walked home with that, just telling everybody about the locks and keys and, and he has an autoimmune disease, and, and he didn't do anything wrong to get it. You can't catch it from me. And, um, you know, he's, he, he knows 
you can as you much as really I can imagine. Really it's speak so about it. Yeah, yeah. Why do you have yeah. an elevator in your grocery store? Is your grocery store in a tree? What is going on there? You really have an elevator in your grocery store? Yeah, we have a Fred Meyer with two stories, and it has an escalator and an elevator. Fancy, Carrie. That's, uh, that's very fancy. That's lo- I was once in a Target with an escalator, and I did not need anything upstairs, but rode the escalator just because there was an escalator for the cart, and I had never seen that before. Yeah. So we have that as well, yes. Ah, it's very cool. Look at you. Cool. I was just like, I was like I'm going to, but I forget when my son was working out for some college, and and uh, I think he was back in the hotel room like, taking SAT prep. And I was like, I'll run out to the store and grab some stuff so we don't have to eat in this hotel. And I couldn't find any place except for this Target. So I went in and all the food was on the first floor. I did not have to go upstairs. And I stood and I looked at it and I was like, am I really not going to ride the cart escalator? I definitely have to. <laughs> and and so I did. It was, it was a really... Um, my level of fancy is obviously different than other people's, but I thought that was pretty exciting. I was, I was like, look at the car, just was, go upstairs. <laughs> I know. That was entertainment for my kids when they were little. We'd go to the Target, and they would watch the cart, the empty cart, go up and down. That's That's a, I, I can't yeah. tell you how much I videoed it, sent it back to Arden. I was like, check this out. <laughs> There's a whole mysterious world out here. <laughs> uh, anyway, I obviously am not as smart as I think I am, but uh, <laughs> I was really overtaken. I was really overtaken by it. I was like, "This is mesmerizing." What genius thought of this? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, sorry. Uh, okay, so when so he's in kindergarten, is that right? Yes. Well, now he's in first grade. He well, was in kindergarten he was when he was diagnosed. So, yeah. what's the management like in first grade? We'll talk about like real world, like right now today. It's like, what's the management like? like how do you handle? insulin is it through a nurse or do you some people visit the school like some people live close and go in what's your what's your schedule like and and what do you guys do? yeah I've actually been envious of hearing your management I wish I um, had a job that I could stay by my phone and be a primary contact for him when he gets older and I I don't have a job like that but um, but for now so our school had had a type one a kid with type one once before I think he was in fourth or fifth grade and so our school secretary um, primarily was the caregiver because our school nurse is only there two days a week. And that was fine, but they realized after about two weeks that a kindergartner is very different. And so they, the school, without our asking for it, um, hired an educational assistant um, and just said, hey, your, your son's going to have a full-time educational assistant with him at all times to care for him, which has been great. Um, it's, so he has an EA with him. Luckily for us, the same EA that he had for half the year last year stayed on, so we didn't have to start overtraining somebody new. And so um, that EA is in the classroom with him and goes to PE and lunch and recess. And um, so she can pre-bolus and can catch highs when they're coming. And we share the Dexcom data to her phone or iPad at the school. And then when she's out on breaks, the school secretary um, fills in as needed if something's needed. Wow. Right now, everyone listening, please stop texting your spouses that you're moving to Oregon. You, because that, <laughs> that's really fantastic. Just to hear that it was proactive on their side. But then they yeah, put- the school, yeah, the administration, I have to say, the teachers, the principal, the assistants, they've all been incredible. Our, our school secretary who jumps in is wonderful. No and kidding. they all are so great with Andrew and, um, yeah, yeah, it's that's been great. Cra- it's really fantastic. I mean, when you hear so many different stories from people who are just like, they, you know, I can't find anyone in the school who's willing to test my kid's blood sugar, you know, right. or, or the school won't let them do this or that, or they're arguing with me all the time. It, it just really does go to show that it's just an attitude, right? Right. It's just, it's just their initial 
you know, somebody's initial response to you was, hey, we'll help. And other people's initial response is, I don't want to be involved. And, you know, it, it, there's no real difference. You know, that, yeah. that, that sucks. I mean, the, don't get me wrong. That this, it's, we've had our share of, we've had to advocate really hard for the kind of care we wanted him to get. And because the, the school nursing is a different, it's a contracted different organization mm-hmm. than the school system. And so um, they have a protocol and standardized type of care so you are supposed to fit into their standardized type of care and for instance they didn't really have they have no protocol for a a cgm okay they think it's a brand new piece of technology and they're not used to it so when my son walked in with his cgm the first time he ran up to the school nurse and and held it up so proudly and and she just looked at him without understanding what he was holding and so um so there's been a lot of advocacy and a lot of um tough days on our part to, but I'm just, I'm not, I'm holding fast to yeah, what I want. Yeah. You'll drag them into the, somebody has to do it. And if you know, it's, it's usually whoever was there first and okay. So everybody yeah. just texted their spouse again, like, never mind, we don't have to go to Oregon. <laughs> and so, uh, but, but you know, I, Arden moved into our middle school and the nurse there, you know, was like, Oh, don't worry. There's so many kids in the school of type one. And there were, and I was like, oh, well, Arden uses an Omnipod. There's another kid that uses an Omnipod here already. And I was like, oh, that's great. She's like, I know all about it. And she's just so sure she knew all about it. And then on day one, I went in with all the stuff. And she's like, so we'll just leave the PDM here. And I said, no, you know, she's not going to come to you, remember. I'm just leaving you extra supplies. She goes, yeah, but you'll leave the PDM here. And I said, no, she needs the PDM. That's how she tests her blood sugar. And that's how she gives herself insulin. And she's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, boy, two weeks ago, if I hmm. wouldn't have like been here in this moment, you, she was selling me. I know what this is. It's going to be great. I already understand this. I've seen it already. Another kid has it. And I was just like, okay. Uh, you know, but you, you don't – I don't think she was lying. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think she just – her understanding of it wasn't what she thought it was, I guess. Right. You, you know, an older kid comes into her room and – uses the PDM and because that kid always comes to the nurse's office to do her insulin, the kid doesn't even carry it with them. Whereas, you know, I, there are times where Arden is quite literally walking down the hallway, texting me with one hand and giving herself insulin with the other hand. So, you know, it's, it's a different, it's a different setup, but okay. Um, all right. So now I have to ask you, I guess you guys did trial net. We did. Yeah. We they told us about that in the hospital also. And I signed us up for the first possible uh, opportunity to get tested. And so you've had uh, Zoe and Sarah tested? We did, yep. My okay. husband and I both were tested as well as our daughters, yep. And how did it all fall? My husband and I were negative, and Sarah, our oldest, is negative, and Zoe, uh, Andrew's twin, is has four of the five autoantibodies. And so, you know, I'm sorry to ask you like this, but... A uh, huge gut punch. How did that feel? Because yeah, that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say that I had my son tested and he did not have any antibodies, and I stood at my mailbox crying, holding the envelope in my hand, and that was uh, me mm-hmm. happy, and I was almost mm-hmm. inconsolable. So, it, so yeah, I, it was. You awful. know what I mean? Like it, be, beyond awful. Can you characterize in your mind now that you know? Better to know, better not to know. What If you could go back, would you do the same thing again? Yeah, I, I definitely am in the better to know camp. And I think people fall in one of those camps. And I think 
this is never a decision I feel like I could put on somebody else, except that I have harassed my siblings to suggest that they have their children tested. Um, but, but outside of that, I think people have to know that they are either the type of person who does better to know or the type who doesn't. And my husband and I are definitely the rather would know kind of people. And I mean, it was like grieving all over again. It was, um, when, and it was worse. We got a full, a voicemail message on a Friday, uh, saying we have your younger daughter's test results and we need to discuss them with you. And when I called back, they were already out of the office and they didn't come into the office on Monday. And they, so it was from Friday to Tuesday that my husband and I were walking around in this days, knowing that it was likely that Zoe had some level of positive response, but we didn't know what it was. And so um, we were in this alternate reality of fear for that weekend. And then to have that ultimate confirmation, which I feel like I, in my gut, I knew um, on that Tuesday. And so, and she hits all three of the highest risk factors. So it's an inevitability. They've, the research doctor has told us that it's not an if, it's a when. She will develop. And yeah. she, yep. They give you a time frame to think about? They, they do, yeah. So depending on your age, because the younger you are when you develop autoantibodies, the faster they're moving. And so the faster you're progressing. And the number of antibodies you have, she has four of the five. Um, makes you at higher risk. And then the specific autoantibodies you have um, are associated with higher and lower risk. And she has the higher risk. So um, they gave us a window of three years, but they said based on her, we went up to Seattle to Benaroya and she did an oral glucose tolerance test. And based on her results, she had an impaired pancreas already. They said it would be in the first half of that three years. And how long has it been since you got that news? That was April. So it's been seven months. Um, so I, I guess my next question is, do you tell Zoe? Yeah, we, we did tell her and we talked about the pros and cons. Um, and again, it falls under that. We tell our kids things and we all learn to deal with them together, um, rather than hiding them. So we told her right away and, um, her first reaction was, Oh no, I don't want to get shots. And then immediately her face changed and she looked at her brother and she said, I'm going to be just like you, Twinny. And so they have this real strong twin bond. And it was really, really positive for her to feel like they were going to go through this together. That's really, that's beautiful, actually. I, I searched for a different word, but I think in some strange way, that is really beautiful. Like, it, it's, mm. it's insane that, that, you know, I mean, the shot thing. That definitely would be the first thing to pop it in yeah. anybody's head. Like, oh, needles, no. Uh, but then to see yeah. him and have that thought right away. And are they close? I mean, obviously you said they have a twin bond, but they are, are they fairly inseparable? Are they together most of the time? They are. They are. They really are. And, and uh, they have a great, great relationship. And, you know, in kindergarten, we decided to keep them together, mostly because we thought our son needed our daughter <laughs> to be there close by. Uh, she's a little bit more of a set out on your own kind of girl. Um, and that was a great decision um, for them to be together. And then we always planned to separate them in first grade. But once we got her news last year, in, during the last school year, we decided to keep them together because, practically speaking, having one EA in a classroom with both of them um, will be more will be better care for them than having the EA have to flip flop between two classes. So they're together again this year, and we'll just keep them together until they're more self managing. What's the conversation like once you get this news? You take it, I'm assuming, back to your endo. And is there a plan in place there? Do you know how you're going to handle that time? Because you don't, 
it, it's it's odd to say, but if you can kind of watch your blood sugar moving forward, there's no reason to be hospitalized. You don't need to be educated again. It's a real, like, there might just be that day where the flag goes up and it's like, okay, here it is. And you just start going. Like, But I don't know if, the, I, I just don't imagine, as much sense as that makes, I guess that's not how it gets done. I mean, I don't know. Like, I just well, tried to answer my yeah, question. I, think that you, I don't know the answer. I think you are on the right track. That's, I mean, that's my thinking is that, is that she'll hopefully avoid a hospitalization, certainly avoid DKA. You know, I envision this lovely little, you know, I didn't have my children this way, but people, my friends who have had scheduled C-sections, you know, got up in the morning, took a shower and checked right, yeah. themselves into the hospital. And, and, um, so I imagine this, you know, my husband, and I do check Zoe's blood sugar. She checks it herself. We, she has a meter, she has a log book. She gets it out on her and she'll say, I think I should check right now. And then she'll check herself. And, um, so we've let her kind of run with it as being an independent thing, as well as, there are definitely times when my husband and I look at each other and say, we better check her blood sugar. And, and her, she is really dysglycemia. They call it dysglycemia when it's, it's not well-managed glycemia rates. And, and that's her body's in that stage right now. So she has the moodiness that we saw in our son before he was diagnosed um, that we just chalked up to being five and adjusting to school. Um, and so we see that in her. And you can tell that she has highs and lows by her behavior. And so we either, you know, we just said treat with love and affection and, and attention and food when we can tell she's running low. Um, and then we test her every so often. And our endo has given us a threshold of when you get over these numbers in these situations, that's when you give us a phone call and you come in and we get her up and running. But that's also one of the reasons I'm a huge trial net advocate is that their, their research is showing that people who are in the trial net study, they not only get diagnosed much earlier and it's associated with all these positive outcomes, like obviously less DKA and fewer hospitalizations and so forth. But long-term, there's all these changes too, um, because I think it's something like half or, or something of the people who are in the study, um, they get diagnosed with type one before their fasting blood sugar is off mm -hmm. and even before their A1C is out of average range. So they catch it so early that the beta cells, there's more beta cells remaining and there's more C-peptide secretion. And so they actually are easier to manage in the years to come and they actually use less insulin for years. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of trial net, honestly. I, I mean, I realize there are some people who could see the downside of it, but I, I it, to me, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Well, hey, Christmas is coming, Kari. You never know. <laughs> you know what? God, I have to tell you, Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving, my daughter, Sarah, the one who's negative, drank more water I've ever seen her drink. I mean, my husband and I kept looking at each other. She kept stopping the games my family was playing and, and to go to the bathroom and then come back and drink more water. And I finally, that night, I said, I'm sweetie, I just have to test you. And I tested her. She was 204. And my heart sunk to my gut. I mean, it was my husband told me later he started planning our exit strategy because we were renting a house on the coast and yeah, yeah. It's okay, you know, <laughs> how are we going to get back to Portland? And and then I said, you know, sweetie, did you wash your hands like I asked you to? Oh, no, I forgot. Okay, well, come here. So then we tested her again and she was 94. So uh, I thought, you know, what is it with holidays? You yeah, know, yeah. Well, yeah, you guys are like, <laughs> I'm telling yeah. you, I would, I would not make giant plans for Christmas. If I, I know. <laughs> I know. Stay in a major metropolitan area. Yeah, you, you know, just bring a little extra insulin, something like that. It's just, so, you know, it's interesting as we're talking, you couldn't possibly have 
a better attitude about this. Like your perspective mm. seems so like on point and, and it sounds like the way you're dealing with it is, is very similar. I would not, I have to admit, I wouldn't hide it from my kids. Like, you know, we, we definitely would talk about things up front. We do a lot of things that you're talking about, about, you know, our kids are very involved in conversations that are about them and even stuff that's not about them to the point even where sometimes I'll look across the room at Kelly and I'm like, why are we listening to them? Like they're children. (laughs) I don't think they know what we're talking about. Like it's nice to involve them, but now they have opinions all of a sudden. And he's 16. Somebody said to me the other day, there's a school I should knock on wood, but there's a school that might be interested in my son going there and playing baseball there. And it's a really good school. And it's better than he could have hoped for just on his grades. Mm-hmm. And his counselor in high school said, well, does he like that school? And I laughed and asked her how old her kids were. And she's like, well, my kids are four <laughs> and six. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, I don't care what he thinks to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. I was like, should I just let him go to the local, like, you know, like, you know, EI Institute for electronics if he wants to? I was like, I said, at some point he doesn't, I said, he's 16. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He can't keep his room clean. You, you, you know, like I'm not letting him make large decisions. And and uh, you know, and somebody might say, "Well, you have to love the school you go to." And it's like, well, okay, to some degree, I I get that. But you know, if three schools want you, and you got to pick one of them, you, you know, you can't you can't just say, "Well, I don't like any of these." You know, so I yeah. said, does it really matter how much? And I, you know, you've heard me talk about it before too. Like it's the same idea when, you know, again, I guess I preface my statement with people should absolutely do whatever they want. But I'm a little baffled when I hear someone say, oh, my seven-year-old didn't want an insulin pump, and it's their body. So I said, okay, but we're struggling. And, okay. and I was like, well, you know, I, I mean, he's seven. Do, do you take, like, where, where do you draw the line? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, at what, what, where, where, how much medical decisions can a seven, are you letting a seven-year-old make? Okay. And, 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 and I get the other side of it, too. Like, you know, if you put a pump on the kid and he really resented it, maybe it's specific to that kid. Maybe you would cause bad feelings, and I'm sure the parent knows best in that situation. But I'm just saying here, if the doctor says there's a big pill and you have to swallow it, you swallow the pill. Like, you, okay. you know, like, like it's not, a, it's not. well, he didn't want to. So, um, so I like yeah. both sides of it. I'm arguing with myself. I, I like involving them, and at the same time, at some point, I would draw a line and be like, okay, well, yeah. you know, we appreciate your input. You know, um, but, and, but you're just doing it really it almost feels West coasty a little bit like, which, which is, which is great. I just don't know where I get that on the East coast, but it's, um, I like it. Like, I think it's fantastic. I'm trying to like, I don't know. I'm trying to congratulate you in a way that doesn't sound like I'm pandering to you, right. <laughs> but, but yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's really yeah. cool. Cause it would be very easy to do, you know, to get scared and do all the opposite things to what you're doing, you know, to shut them out, to, to, to freeze them out, to make them do what they, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like it's just, it's easy to get scared. So why do you think you're not scared? Is it something about you personally? Do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think I certainly live under the same fear that I think every type parent of a type one kid with type one lives under of the, 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 my husband put it that it's so strange to have a kid who's so healthy, who you look at and is so healthy and can do anything any other kid can do, and yet is so close to a threshold of being so fragile, so medically fragile. So this, it's a weird kind of way to be. But, um, but we very much told him from the very start he could do and be anything he wanted to. 
and he will say type one doesn't stop me. You know, he'll, he's really embraced that mentality. And so in our day-to-day life, we have this attitude of, you know, we, we haven't really changed his eating habits. Um, you know, we changed the timing. There are times when we say, you know, we have, you know, we always pre-bolus and if he's super high and we can't get a, a stubborn high down, we definitely make different choices about the, what we offer and when we offer it. Um, but you know, I, we, I take it on as a challenge to figure out how, how to manage, um, good care in the midst of this activity or this food. Um, we felt really, we'd never, I'd never managed to take our kids skiing, even though I grew up skiing and I, I wanted to expose them to the chance because they, you learn everything better when you're little than when you get older and clumsy. So, so I, I, all the year before, I never managed to get the guts up to take my, you know, two four-year-olds and one six-year-old up to the mountain. And we did it a month after Andrew was diagnosed. And I just remember that being one of my huge hurdles of my husband and I giving each other a huge high five saying, how did we manage to take three kids skiing, period? And then we kept Andrew alive in the midst of it. So um, I think we are definitely terrified underneath. And yet uh, we tolerate it and we lean on each other. Michael and I lean on each other a lot. And we're both in it. and We both care for him. Often I'm home more often than he is, but, um, but, uh, we're in it together and I think we just choose to keep going. You both are, try not to, are you both fairly able to, um, to manage it the same way? Like the, the, the moment to moment decisions, you guys basically agree on how those things happen. Like if you're there or your husband's there sort of, is it meaningless as far as how Andrew's blood sugar stay and things like that? Or one of you better than the other, it's something and not the other thing or. Is your understanding the same of the of I guess his insulin needs and the timing and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, I think we're very similar. I mean, I think we have different styles. Times when I'll be more aggressive and times I'll be less, and and vice versa for him. Um, and so you know, and part of that comes down to prep. Like I am a little more subtle at night, mostly because I hate trying to get my son to eat when he's asleep. He won't drink when he's asleep, and. And Michael doesn't mind doing that, so he'll he'll get a little bit more aggressive. It, um, and I so I think it's just because of preferences we have over what we um, like doing. But I think during the day we have very similar. I don't worry for a second about leaving. You know, Michael taking care of him when I'm not around, right. and I don't, I know he feels the same. The only difference is I I shifted my work schedule such that um, we made it so that we don't need any after school care for the kids. Okay. And so my husband's home on Mondays, but then I'm home with them from the time they get home from school Tuesday through Friday. And so, um, so I do more of the, I do more of the dex changes and more of the pump site changes. Um, so I think my, my husband would say that I might be better at that or faster at that or, um, than he is, but he can certainly do them both yeah. for sure. That's, that's really cool. So are you guys, would you consider yourself aggressive? Are you like with blood sugars and yeah, yeah. So how did you, what caused you, I'm trying to get to this for everybody listening, right? Because some people start out scared and it's been my, I'm going to suppose for a second. I wrote this blog post the other day because more and more online, I'm seeing people talk about it the way I've always kind of hoped for them to talk about it, you know? And uh, I wrote this blog post about like, you know, years ago when I was trying to decide like, what could my blog do for the community? Now it's been up for so long and I can't just tell mm. these stories over and over again. And mm. I wanted to really get people to stop thinking about things in a fearful way. I wanted them to understand like sort of the timing of, blood, of, of insulin better. And, you know, I'm obviously, I'm certainly 
100 million percent not taking credit for it um but it is moving in that direction and mm -hmm. uh, you see more and more people talk about being bold and being you know aggressive and less people talking about the fear side of it and you know and things are shifting now maybe that's because the technology is available to more people and you can with obviously with a cgm be more aggressive um i i hope i had something to do with it on some small part but 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 it is i think it's important for people to hear like how did you decide that that was going to be it that you weren't going to be one of those people who was like well 225 is not horrible you, you know like mm -hmm. like you know like like what what did that for you i know what it did it for me but but what did it for you hmm. yeah i think that's a great question i um i think for me you know our our clinic my what my husband and i realized was when we went to all the education, we took everything they said as gold. You know, we just followed it to the letter. And I'm one of those super compliant people. So I followed everything to the letter of the law. And what we realized after two or three months was that they taught us what every, the, ba the bare minimum of what everybody needed to know right. to, to keep your kid alive and functioning. And that there was so much more nuance and savvy that could be done if you put the time into learning it. And, and, and so... I think that it, once that insight hit us, I couldn't be satisfied with the, the swings, the super highs and the, the lows and such. So um, I think it was, I remember one night, um, I remember this one night that, I don't know, we were probably two or three months in and I tested him and he was high and I corrected and I tested him, you know, an hour later or something and he was still really high. And we were following the, you don't correct, but every three hours and, you know, the rules that we were sent home with. And I just, and I called the on-call doctor at night to say, I've already corrected. He's not coming down. He's still, I mean, he was probably in the 300s or something. And she said, you've done what you can do, you know, test again in this amount of time, correct if you need to at that. And I got off the phone and I just sat there crying and my husband was consoling me. And, and I was just saying, I hate that we know he's high and we can't do anything about it. And my husband, who was much quicker to look outside the box, and I am said, who says we can't? Like, it's our kid. Why can't we? If we make sure he's okay, why can't we do this? And that, I think, was a, a nice turning point of us saying, right, he's our kid. And I needed, to, I needed to step away from the comfort of the authority figures in our life of medical providers. And, and I have to say that our clinic really encourages that. They have us come to a training within a couple months that we would learn to adjust his insulin doses ourselves with the expectation that we only leaned on them for the first couple months. And at any time, I know I can call them and say, hey, I cannot figure out this, this thing, this hard spike I'm getting every day, whatever. So I know I can lean on them at any time. But it was very, relatively very early on that both our clinic was teaching us to do it ourselves. And we took on the, uh, the kind of identity of being the ones who were in charge of that. And so we just slowly from that point on started making decisions within the boundaries of what we've been taught. But because we saw how our kid reacted, which is different than how any other kid reacts. Um, and then I think the technology makes that possible. The Dexcom is, I mean, we definitely treat that as, you know, feedback that we can always rely on and we can test to confirm. And then the pump just enabled us to get much more savvy with, you know, the smaller doses and the little nudges and the increased basils or decreased basils. So I think, um, all that, I think the technology and being able to talk to other people because I could, I could get online and, and read blogs and listen to podcasts and talk to other parents 
in the DOC and I could go to, you know, Friends for Life was huge for us because we learned so many tricks and tips and tons of comfort from other parents, but great lectures by researchers and, and, um, and people who are doing CDs and such. So I think it's a combination of, I guess, our lack of being willing to stay within those restrictions and the, the, I guess the, the willingness to take that risk to step out of that comfort zone until it became comfortable, which was quick. Yeah. And then all the other people kind of supporting us along the way. And now you think nothing of it, right? Like this morning, um, Arden's blood sugar drifted up around 4 a.m. I did not hear the alarms and wake up. So she was like 185 when I woke up. I tested. She was actually like 200. So I, I immediately like, you know, I, she's been getting she's a little more tough this year in the mornings than she, than to move her blood sugar than she has been in, in previous years. So I already know there's a small bolus coming in the morning anyway. So I doubled her basil. I, I bolused a significant amount at, I think it was like quarter to six in the morning. So she'd probably been higher for about an hour and 45 minutes. And then an hour later, um, I tested her again and she was like 180. And it would have been easy for me to be like, well, it'll probably come down. But I just did it again. Like, I, mm-hmm. I redoubled her basal rate. I gave her more insulin again. I tested her. Like, we we um, we um tested as she got to school at 8 o'clock. And we gave her a little more. You, mm-hmm. you, you know, I was just like, I was like, keep keep going. Because mm-hmm. because it, this is the last day of a pump. Right? Her pump needs to be changed yeah. this afternoon. So it's probably a little bit of that. It's probably a little bit of a lot of different things. But this is just going to require more insulin than it should. And I think that some people get stuck in the idea where, hey, the blood sugar was this. It says this much insulin. You know, if it doesn't work, I can't understand why. And my concept is, well, it's there's only one real reason that you need to understand is it's apparently not enough insulin. You know, right. you know. I saw someone talking the other day and my advice back was like, you know, all these other things you're trying to figure out, they're great. I said, but for the moment, ignore them because your issue is you don't have enough insulin. Who cares why at the moment? Right. You you know, like understanding why in the long run is going to be fantastic for you. But in this moment right now, you don't need to Sherlock Holmes the the whole thing out to the end of your life. Just give them more insulin, you you know, and if, and then catch it if it goes the other way. I'm, it's so much simpler to stop a low blood sugar than it is to it is. to move a high one, you know? Yeah, we believe that wholeheartedly, and we teach that to anybody who has any kind of care for Andrew. Is we'd much rather risk having a hand in the starburst or, a, you know, a couple Skittles than, than fight with how long it takes to get the high down. Kari, when and you I tell think, those people that real quickly, do you say, hey, yeah. nothing on the Juice Box podcast is considered advice, medical or otherwise, always contact a physician, this is just a podcast. Do you say any of that first or... Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Hey, excellent, time, excellent, good, good, good. Yeah. I just yeah. kind of slip it in here somewhere <laughs> in the hour. So, um, uh, it it just really is a basic concept, right? It's just yeah. it, you know, I, I've metaphored it nine thousand different ways at this point in the podcast. You know, like you know, if your car's not slowing down fast enough, step on the brake harder. Right. Don't just go, hey, this is how far they told me to step on the brake. I know the wall's getting closer, but this is what I was told. So, it, well, you and know. I think yeah, and I think for me, I I love math, and I have always, you know, I've, I've always been a rule follower. I'm very compliant. And so I think that was a limitation factor for me because I had to, you know, I, they taught me this many carbs, this much insulin. And, you know, if you follow this rules, these rules, it should work out. So I had to wrap my head around the idea that that is not true, that the rules don't matter sometimes. There are boundaries, there are suggestions. But, um, but I, I had to get over the, this should be enough insulin 
and get to the, well, it's not like you were saying. And I think, you know, no carb, the carbs aren't all created equally. You know, 40 grams of cereal does not equal 40 grams of a whole wheat waffle. And so, um, I think for me, once I let go of the, um, you know, this is the, the way I should treat him in this situation and instead say, what is the situation teaching me? What is the feedback I'm getting? How am I going to respond to it? Um, it's so much more fluid and, and easier. That's been one of the core struggles with school because they want it to be measured. This yeah, happens. They want this it, happens. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Arden came down the other weekend. Uh, she, she woke up a little earlier than she usually does. She came down, she looked like she was out of a movie. She had sweat, uh, sweatpants on and a t-shirt. Her hair was like on a bun that looked like it got shoved on the side of her head. She looked homeless and she, <laughs> she comes in the room and she's like, I would really like a bowl of cereal. And I was like, okay. So I looked at her CGM, her blood sugar was like 85 and I, she ate a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. Now that can't <laughs> wow. even be food, right? Right. right. So, and right. so that's something we have aside in case she gets low usually. And I'm going to be, I wouldn't lie to you. We didn't measure it. I don't know how much cinnamon toast crunch was in the bowl. I don't know how much milk was in the bowl. All I can tell you was I said, okay. And I bolused an incredible amount of insulin and told her, uh-huh. I told her, uh, wait a couple minutes and then we'll, uh, we'll get, go ahead and get your bowl together and you can start eating. And yeah. so there was a pre bolus there. Um, she did begin to eat before her blood sugar fell because she was already 85, but we probably waited. And again, for people listening, it doesn't matter how long we waited. It depends on what works right. for you. You know, I think we yep. probably waited 10 minutes and it easily could have been another five minutes or anything. But but the, the goal of the fact that Arden's blood sugar did not go over 120 after eating a significant amount of Cinnamon Toast Crunch is because I gave her a, enough insulin to kill a horse. That, yeah. That's why. Right, right? And, and, ba- and based on what? Literally nothing. Like just that, like, you know, I've seen her eat this much before. Um, that much is this much insulin, but we're not pre bolusing yeah. as much as we should and blah, blah, blah. And even if I over in Arden's world, even if I overshot that bolus by two units, say it was, should have been nine and I gave her 11, two units in her is not that much insulin. It's, you know, a juice box an hour later could have stopped it. And, mm-hmm. and so I just when two hours later when she didn't go over 120, I thought, wow. I'm, I'm right. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there was this like moment where like, even sometimes when I'm saying this stuff, I was like, you know, it might work for you. It might not. I don't know. I'm right. In the end, she just needed more insulin. Like, like it was just, it was that, you know, trust yeah. me, I, you couldn't eat like that every day. It would be, you know, at some point that insulin would catch up to you and you, you'd get some crazy low somewhere along the way. You know, if you were trying to cinnamon toast crunch every meal, but it, it's doable, you, you know, mm-hmm. here and again, it's doable. And yeah, I love hearing that that's what you're doing really. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes we get the response of being kind of high maintenance by, you know, by this. I just, I get that sense sometimes. I do think to your point that we have a little ways to go for this to be a more common, you know, a common approach. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that the more the DOC is there for people to talk to each other and meet each other and share these ideas, I think, um, I think that that's how these ideas get passed around, you yes. know, podcasts and, and conversations and such. And this is, this needs, in my opinion, I want this to be more of the conversation because, you know, I, I said in this blog post that I wrote, like, you know, I'm seeing less of these sort of like 
you know, Facebook group, like threads that are literally meant to like commiserate in like, you know, somebody gets on and says, Oh my God, diabetes is horrible. And I can't take this and blah, blah, blah. And who's with me. And then a bunch of people come in and they're like, Oh, I know it sucks. And everybody, and then all of a sudden that becomes the tone. The tone is Mm. it's not manageable. Did you get a 250 blood sugar? There's nothing you can do about it. That's just diabetes. Mm. You're screwed. You you know, like I, I want people to say, no, it's okay. You can, you know, it's not okay, but you can do something about it. And and I heard you start talking a minute ago about feeling like people might look at you like you're, like what you're doing is high maintenance. Yeah. But I can't say enough. It is. It requires less of my effort to keep Arden's blood sugar at ninety than it does to get it down from two hundred. Like, oh yeah. Like my time. Sure. Excuse me. I'm throwing things. My time and attention and all of that stuff is so much less to keep a stable lower blood sugar where it's at than it is to fight with the other ones. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Know. Yeah. And I, we just started getting this crazy thing starting in the last week and a half where as soon as my son's eyes close, he shoots up double arrow straight up. It's the weirdest phenomenon we've seen mm-hmm. so far. And it's been my challenge. It's like the anvil got dropped and I'm like, I'm going to figure this out with, with basils and things. So, um, you know, we're figuring that out. And, and when we just had endo day this week and I described to the endocrinologist this crazy spike and, and his first reaction was, let it go. He's going to come back down. And I looked at him and I said, I, what? <laughs> um, I what if I that. stopped it? <laughs> and if he got low later, he drank a little juice or right, something like, right. like wait, and then he never got high or wait, what are we talking about again? And I, wait, although I feel bad for you that, uh, that Andrew is not a night, uh, isn't a sleep drinker. That's uh, oh, a, a major bonus in my life that you can just touch Arden's lip with the plastic straw and go Arden half a juice and she'll go and then stop. Like I almost, I, I could, amazing. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it really, it really is a, it's a major boon. Uh, it genuinely is. And even if she's, um, you know, the only thing that happens sometimes is like, especially during the winter when it gets drier in the house, she's thirsty to begin with when you're, I, I sometimes I'm like, that's it. You're done. Stop. Stop. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pulling. Yeah. Then her not being awake is not helpful. Cause you're just like, stop it. Let go. Um, right. yeah, but that's a big one. Like if you can develop that, that'd be a major, uh, be a major plus for you. Um, yeah, I would love that. but that's interesting. We're right up on an hour and I was going to say goodbye to you, but at the same time, I'm fascinated that your doctor was like, double arrows up, it'll work itself out. It's just. <laughs> and I love him. He's a great, I like him a lot. And, and to his credit, his first reaction was, let it go. It's okay. Right. He's got a great A1C. He's, you know, you're managing really well. I don't have any other feedback for you. And then when I said back, well, you know what? I think I can figure this out. I just need to experiment with a couple different things. And he said, yeah, but he's not always going to go to bed at the same time. How are you going to? you know, set a basal rate that is, is flexible enough and blah, blah, blah. And, but every time he said something back, he was more open to the idea. So our back and forth that took a minute and a half, he went from let it go to the last thing he told me was, hey, if you can figure it out, great. Good. Well, maybe so, he changed his mind for somebody else then coming in the door next, you know. Yeah, maybe. My daughter, Sarah, um, just to your point about the, the throwing a boatload of insulin at the, the cereal, she, when I get this, when we get this stubborn high that logically should not be happening and we've given way more insulin than it needs, but we keep giving insulin because we see on the decks or we test him and he's not coming down and it's stubborn because we just say that's diabetes and there's no logic to it. Um, but my daughter likes to start chanting, 
rage, bolus, rage, bolus. <laughs> so, so the whole family gathers around. I'm like, that's it. We're going to rage, bolus. And so we laugh about how I'm going to give this big bolus because sometimes it needs something big to nudge it. And then it finally starts coming down. And honestly, by the time all of we've gone through all of that, my son's ready to eat anyway. You know, yeah. so I mean, a six-year-old wants to eat all the time. I'm glad so. you said that. There's so much value in the idea that even if I overcorrect right now, if I do it right, it'll it'll land right when she's when they're hungry yeah. again. Like, like yeah. And so, yeah. So much of it is is the timing of when you start the insulin, but also the timing of when that bolus is going to finish and and where yep. you're at at that moment. I mean, there's nothing worse than when someone's low and they're like, I'm not hungry, you know? And yeah. then you're like, okay, you know, then it's more of a fast acting juice thing. And then you feel, I feel terrible then. Like watching Arden consume something she flat out doesn't want, it somehow breaks my heart a little bit. Like I feel badly about that. Um, right. But, but when you can, you know, like, like this year at school, Arden's, Arden's had a lot of, um, I don't really know how to put it, but her blood sugars are requiring more insulin during the day, probably because of just the stress and pressure of school. School's getting more stressful. She's in seventh mm. grade now. She even said to me, I think my blood sugar's a little high yesterday because I just had a test. Mm. And, it, and it wasn't real high, but it was like 120. And, and I know that after school, as soon as she leaves school and whatever it is about school mm. ends, her blood sugar comes crashing down. But we yeah. have it worked out where it doesn't matter. Like, like she walks in the door, gets herself a snack from after school, starts eating it, and her blood sugar starts to fall at the same time. I have to sometimes wait. Yesterday, she, I think she sat down. Arden came in last yesterday, um, like I said, that 120. It was creeping down, creeping down. And right when it got to 90, I was like, you know, you should probably start thinking about your snack now. And she got like nachos and cheese and sat down at our island with her like one tree hill on Netflix and her and her and her and her homework. And she just looked so thrilled, like to just be like noshing on these nachos like it was nothing. And just like that, her blood sugar started to fall. I actually had to wait the bolus for the nachos for a while. And so just it was all the timing of it, just like you just spoke about. I'm so glad you think about like that. I wish everybody could or would, you know, think about it more like that too. There's, there's, well, my challenge right now is to figure out movies because my son with adrenaline, it's crazy. And with the deck, if we didn't have the decks, I'd never know this, but adrenaline hits him super, super hard. And so when he watches movies, he gets, you know, into the tension of, you know, Cinderella or whatever. And, and his blood sugar skyrockets. And so I figured out this extended bolus of when to start and how much to give over the period of time that he watches the movie. And I mean, my husband and I, we, we went to Friends for Life last year that was in Orlando. And so we told the kids that we were taking them to Disney World. And it was the first time we noticed that Andrew's blood sugar jumped 148 points. We told them we were taking him to Disney World. Yeah. And my husband looked at me and he said, no more good news ever. We're not, we're not telling them anything <laughs> good. Don't tell them anything good ever again. I'm cracking up. I just remembered he was six because you were like, you know, the movies, the intensity of like, you know, Cinderella. And <laughs> Then I just, as you were talking about French life, I was like, what the heck happens in Cinderella? It's so exciting. Like I couldn't think of it. I guess finding the slipper must be a pretty big boost, but, um, but that's fantastic. No. And it's also stuff that I don't think, you know, in the beginning you don't think about, and then as time moves on, you can see it happening more and more, you know, adrenaline, any way it comes throws up your blood sugar the minute the adrenaline goes away boom it's gone you know it's right. and then you know you need the insulin to stop it in the moment but then you have to be prepared 
that when the adrenaline's gone, that insulin's still there sometimes. So right, it's, it's a, yeah, we dose about half of it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it really is. It's totally. We saw arrival last week, mm. and Arden did not want to see that. She totally got drug along to that, but she she got like she got a bunch of theater food, and I just literally crushed her with insulin. I was like, here, here, yeah. and then. You know, as she's she got her cup and she went up to fill her cup up, and we, I was getting some like like unsweetened tea or something like that, and she's like, "Can I get an icy?" And I just oh. I was like I was like, "Yeah, whatever, go ahead." And then we just I, and I don't even like in the I swear to you, I have no idea how to bolus for an icy other than to say <laughs> a lot of insulin, and so I just gave her a lot more insulin, and so yeah. there she was at the movie theater having nachos and insulin or and ices, and I was just wow. like. Pushing insulin, pushing insulin, pushing insulin. So, it's you know, it, you'll know that I'm being bold when you hear my wife say, "We we definitely have a juice box, right?" And <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, we definitely do." I'm like, "Is there others in the car?" And she's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "All right, well, let's go for it here and see what happens." So, right, yeah, we never go anywhere without. I mean, my pockets always have Skittles, and yeah. and I that's the one thing I did put in every car, and his meter's got candy in it and such. So. And we, I think I'm, I kind of fall in that line of, I have great, the Calorie King app. And, and I definitely, if it's something I don't know, I'll look it up to get a, a ballpark range. But then I definitely have that sensed gut. No, he's going to need more than that uh, for this. Or I know the carb count tells me this much, but I think he's going to need more. So I, I think sometimes I like the lines to color within a little bit. And well, I guess the lines and then I don't color within them. I guess right. that's way. Yeah, there, there's many meals that if you asked me why I'm bolusing the amount of insulin I'm bolusing, I couldn't even begin to tell you. So I just yeah. know that it's going to take about this much. Everybody gets to that point at some point. So, um, all right, we're way over. Kari, thank you very much. Um, sure. I really appreciate you coming on. I loved how like thoughtful and articulate you were about everything. There were times when you were talking, I was like, I don't have to do anything. This is great. <laughs> um <laughs> But I really do appreciate you coming on, and, and I appreciate you taking the time. Somebody's going to get something great out of this, so thanks for taking this time. Thanks for doing it. It's great. I mean, I get a lot out of your podcast, and um, it's just nice knowing other people are out there. And and I appreciate the chance to talk about TrialNet in the sense that, um, you know, when you've had people on in the past who have mentioned it, um, I I like lean in toward the the speakers in my car to say, are you going to ask if their other kid is positive? Are you going to ask what they're doing with it? Because to live in this purgatory of having a kid we know is on the way. Um, it's like, I mean, she technically is stage two. She had, she would be, Ben Arroyo would diagnose her as stage two type one diabetes. So technically she has it. She just isn't symptomatic. She's not stage three yet. And so we live in this world of she sort of is, she sort of isn't. And um, our, our uh, JDRF walk team name was type one twins because they live under the identity of Zoe having it and being with her brother in this. And it's just a matter of semantics that it's going to be our life soon. And so um, I just, I yearn to talk to other parents who are managing more than one kid and what's that like and how do you make it through? And um, so I just, anybody who's interested, it's super easy to access TrialNet um, either through one of their centers or they will send your doctor or you a, a sterilized specimen kit that you just go get a blood draw for. And um, I encourage anybody who is interested and wants to be one of those people who knows to, to check into it. Yeah, and if you go back a bunch of episodes, I actually interviewed the person who runs TrialNet. Uh, Carla, Carla Greenbaum. Greenbaum. Yeah, yeah. So she's great. It is. It's very cool for you to speak out like that because it it can't be easy to. 
I can see where it would be difficult to go into public and say, hey, my kid has this disease. It's on its way. Uh, it's not an easy thing to, I can't imagine it's an easy thing to think about. But, you know, I'm sorry. Hold on a second. I have to get Arden to bolus a second. Here we go. Bolus again. There we go. Um, I can't imagine... Like there's, there's two, it's a very overly simplistic idea, but you get a bill in the mail, you know, you owe money. Some people open it right up and say, okay, this is how much I owe. I'll pay it on this day if I can, or I'll make this much for a payment. And some people just sort of slide it under a magazine and think, I don't want to think about it right now. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, you still know, you know, it's in there. You know what you owe. Like you, you just, there's no real, there's no real world benefit in pretending it doesn't exist. You, you know, mm -hmm. that you can only benefit by just sort of grabbing it in that moment and saying, okay, this is, this is the situation we're in. I might not like it, but let's do the next thing that makes sense. You yeah. know, yeah, I, I yeah. think I just really, I, I congratulate you on having that, um, that attitude and, and, and for speaking out and letting everybody else know about it. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank well, you. No, you're very welcome. All right. Well, I will, uh, I hope you have a great holiday. I hope no one gets a, a major <laughs> disease on Christmas and, uh, <laughs> tree doesn't fall on you or anything like that or <laughs> whatever, <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> um but thanks so much for coming on absolutely thanks for the invite take care guy. Bye. seriously i've never done this before but kari amazing thank you so much to omnipod and dexcom for sponsoring this episode of the juice box podcast if you want to find out more about the world's only tubeless insulin pump go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box or of course the Dexcom CGM. You know you need it. You know you want it. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. If you're enjoying the show, leave a rating and a review in iTunes, please. And more importantly, tell a friend about it. Show them how to subscribe to the juice box podcast. Show them what a podcast is. Most people don't know. You know, you're a special person who knows things other people don't know. Don't keep that to yourself. Don't be like that. <laughs>